So we had identity in Christ and identity outside of Christ, right? And I just want to recap in just about, you know, 30 seconds. Identity without Christ and identity with Christ is two separate things. So identity without Christ, we define ourselves by uh, what we find uh, or we find worth and purpose in things like our looks, our accomplishments, our career, and even in this world, things like sexual orientation. These are things that people find their worth and they also find their accomplishments in. But identity in Christ, we find worth in surrendering to God's unconditional love, and we find purpose in accepting God's plan for our lives. So you see the difference. One is identity in Christ, and one is identity outside of Christ. Identity outside of Christ is unstable. We talked about in James, unstable, we are insecure, we're double-minded, we seek the love and purposes of the world, and at the same time, the love and purposes of God. But when it comes to identity in Christ, we talked about a renewed mind, a new creation, partakers of what kind of nature? A divine nature, that's right. And that leads us to be secure and it leads us to be confident, like Christ. We discovered also how Christ was confident, confident because he knew where he came from and where he was going, that's purpose. And he was also confident in his Father's love. Remember at the baptism, he heard the voice, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So to start to have that identity in Christ, we talked about how it starts with total surrender. Total surrender. But you know, as I work with many people, I have found more and more that um, there are many people that find it very hard to surrender everything. And I'm not talking about people necessarily out there in the world. I'm talking about people within God's Seventh-day Adventist Church. There, there, there are many that haven't surrendered everything, and they know they haven't surrendered everything. And I would almost say that it's, it's a large amount of people. And as I try to talk with people, try to find out why. Are they just rebellious? Or, 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 um, and you know, there's, there's some of that too, of course. But um, sometimes what I have found is that they'll tell you, you know, fine, it's fine. I can't, you know, I understand if I could find, surrender everything to God, then yeah, I could probably maybe find security. Maybe I would find, you know, what you're talking about. But I can't trust God. I can't trust God. You know, the other day I was talking to a young lady and this is what she was telling me. This is a young lady that comes to church, a young lady that listens to, to powerful sermons, that, that, that talks about how God is good and how God is providing for her. And, and, and then, but when it came time, I said, look, she's struggling with some things in her life. And I said, look, if you can just surrender everything. And she just blatantly said, I can't trust God. You know, yeah, God is good, God is, but, but I just can't trust him. And what was she trying to say? You know, some, there's different reasons that she gave me, and there's different reasons other people give me. Some people tell me, well, he never intervened when I was being abused. And so, yeah, I come to church, and yeah, I mean, I serve him, I return my tithe, I, and I, you know, and he guides, he blesses somehow. But this thing of complete, total, unconditional surrender, I can't, because... If I couldn't trust him when I was being abused, 
what's going to happen now? You know, if I surrender everything, I don't know what's going to happen to me, right? Other people say, well, he allowed the breakup. He allowed the divorce. He allowed the cancer. He allowed the death to happen in our family. And you know, people tell me, John, I prayed so much. He didn't come through. I prayed, I prayed, I cried, I cried. I even fasted. And so I can't trust him. I can't trust him. And even now, some people tell you I'm going through stuff and he doesn't seem to listen. Because of that, I feel if I surrender everything to him, my life, I don't know what it will be. He might send me to Timbuktu. I, I feel my life will be boring. My life will be full of rejections and trial. I feel I will be even more miserable if I, don't, if I surrender my life to him than I am already now. You know, in other words, what these people are saying, it's another, I guess, expression of this, this question is if God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, if God is such a God of love, why does this happen? And um, if he's all-powerful, if he's all-knowing, why doesn't he intervene? And we're talking about identity, but tonight we're going to, it's talking a little bit more about God's identity to clear up misunderstandings. Satan has has put so much bad on God so that we can't clearly understand his identity and as a result we can't sometimes trust him with unconditional surrender. Some of you may say, well, you know, I'm not really suffering with a lot of, I don't have a lot of this pain thing that you're talking about, God and suffering, that's not my issue. So, but I'm telling you, if you have lived long enough, you will experience pain. And if you haven't experienced it yet, and I'm not just talking pain, I mean real pain, um, just live a little bit longer, right? <laughs> and, uh, and some of you may say, well, you know, I've lived pretty long. I've never experienced, you know, this kind of thing. Well, you know, we are coming to the last days, the end of time. And we are coming to a time when I don't think we can fully imagine what we're going to be experiencing. The trials, the persecution, where you have children that are turning in their parents to be killed, where you have husbands and wives turning on each other to be killed. This is what we're going to experience. And friends, unless we clear up all, as, as, as much as we can, these misconceptions about the almighty, powerful God that is all-loving but that doesn't intervene, there will come a point where we might be among the category of those that will not will stop trusting in God. You know, there are people that have come to GYC meetings like this that are not with us anymore because they haven't, they weren't able to settle that question. There are individuals that are avowed atheists that I know of because they weren't able, they used to be Seventh-day Adventist Christian because they couldn't, they went through something so deep, so painful that they just couldn't understand why God wouldn't intervene. And as a result, no, they walk away completely away from God. So they say, okay, it's true. Maybe if I can find true security and purpose, if I surrender all, but I can't surrender all because I don't trust God, and I guess I'm out of luck. Well, tonight we're going to go through some biblical principles, and as we go through some biblical principles, I'm going to move very fast so uh, there's six principles I want to go through. So if you, I'm moving too fast, just jot things down. I'm not going to read all the Bible verses. But um, as we go through these basic principles, I want you to keep three things in mind. The first thing I want you to keep in mind is that 
Answers don't remove pain. Answers don't remove what? Pain. So, God forbid, but if, if, um, if tonight after the meeting I go to, to, to my bed and I get a phone call from my wife and she's crying and she says, John, our little daughter is dead. And so I just, you know, I'll be a mess. I'll be crying and so forth. And, and you know, sometimes when I have gone through hard times in my life, I've cried out to God, why? You know, I, I just want to know why. And, and, and I, can, I distinctly remember many, a few times in my life where, where I would cry out to God in tears and just wanting to know, Lord, why? I just want to know why. But I want to tell you something, that if God Almighty Himself tonight would come in my room and look at me and touch me and says, Jonathan, the reason your daughter died is because dot, 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 dot. What do you think my reaction would be? Oh, why, thank you, Lord. Okay, now I guess I can continue with my life. I'm a happy camper. Everything's fine. Thank you so much. You know, I, and I wipe my tears. I, no! Even if God Almighty comes down and tells me, look, this is the reason she died, dot, 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 this is the reason, it doesn't remove the pain. I still miss my daughter. I'm still going to cry. You understand what I mean? And so sometimes what we do is when we are looking for answers, we have to be careful about, about cherishing doubt because we believe sometimes that if I can just get the answers, then I will not have any more pain. Everything will be fine. Answers don't remove pain. Even when God himself can start explaining to you why you're experiencing this or why your family went through this, even though you even start understanding why, pain remains. And just because pain remains, it doesn't mean that God is not good and God is not faithful. The second point is this. Sorry. Are you recording from this one too? Is that yeah, keep, keep going. Oh, okay. Can you hear me? No, we have to mute it, but keep going. Yeah, so basically the second, so the first point is that answers don't remove pain. The second thing is as we go through the biblical principles, I want us to focus on the big picture. Don't focus on the small picture. Focus on the big picture, which is the great controversy between Christ and between Satan. When we want to understand the question about God, about suffering, if we focus just on our little things and our little world, we won't be able to find the answers to be able to give us enough so that we can put our trust in God. The third point also is that it's impossible to completely cover this topic thoroughly, but I hope that what we will share tonight will be enough so that we can put our trust in Him, no matter what you've gone through, no matter what you're going through, or no matter what you will go through. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of the death, I want to be able to say, Father, I don't understand why this is happening, but you have revealed enough in your word to me that I can put my complete trust in you. So take my hand, guide me, and keep me close to your heart. Am I on? That? Sure. Can you hear me? It's good. Beautiful. Point number one: Life is not a gift. What did I say? 
Do I hear an amen out there? Life is not a gift. Amen? <laughs> Life is not a gift. It's not a gift from God. At least it's not a gift in the way that we understand it. So if, 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 um, if I decide to take this pen, right? And I take this pen and I give it to, what's your name? I'm Dustin. Dustin. So I give right. Dustin, yeah, oh, nice. this pen, right? It's a nice pen. So Dustin is pretty happy. I, and this is our, the context of what we're going through. I, here on this earth, I gave him the pen. He's happy. And he decides to write with it. He decides to chew it. He decides to prop up his, his couch with it. Now, now, when I start seeing what Dustin is doing to the pen, I gave him the pen. And therefore, if I come and I say, Whoa, Dustin, what are you doing with that pen? Give me back that pen. You can't treat that pen that way. If I do that, that means I never gave him the pen. Here on earth, when I give him the pen, that means that pen belongs to him. He can do whatever he wants with it. It's his pen. You understand what I mean? That's a gift. That's a gift, right? You know, we kind of treat God the same way some teenagers, you know, treat sometimes. They tell their parents, you know, mom or dad, I never asked to be born. But this is my life now. I can do whatever I want with it. It's my choices that I want to do. But you know, life is not a gift. Life is a loan. Are you with me? Life is not a gift. Life is a loan. And God says, I give you life just the same way that the bank gives you a mortgage. Are you with me? Life is a loan. If you have your Bibles, let's look at... Actually, can I have my pen back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a gift. I just wanted to anchor that, you know? <laughs> um, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. If you can turn there with me, we're going to go look just at a few verses. These verses, I'm sure you're familiar with it, but it's good to see them again. Ezekiel chapter 18, and we're looking at verse 4. The Bible says, Behold, God is speaking, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. So God says, all souls belong to who? Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. This is a very important verse to help us to understand uh, how man is created and about the soul. Genesis 2, 7, and it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became what? A living soul. So here we see that God has dust of the ground, which is created by God, which belongs to God. You know, the Bible says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because the cattle upon the thousand hills are mine. And so the dust belongs to God. And then the breath that comes out of God and goes into man, that belongs to who? God. And then so the breath combined with the, the dust equals what? A living soul. And the Bible tells us all souls belong to very good. So all souls are mine, the dust is mine, the breath is mine, the soul that comes out is also mine. 
it belongs to God. And we are told even in Psalms 104, verse 29, it says, you hide your face, they are troubled, you take away the breath, they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created. The breath goes back to God. In fact, 1 Timothy 4, or 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16 says, God alone possesses immortality. God alone possesses immortality. And do you know that even in heaven, our immortality will be dependent upon God. Do you know that Lucifer and the angels, his angels, they had the gift of immortality, but that gift is take, will be taken away from them, right? So, recapitulate. It's very important to understand. For us to understand the context of uh, why, why God sometimes is silent, why God of love around sin and suffering, why I go I experience so much pain, but God doesn't intervene. It's very important for me to understand that life is not a gift. Life is alone. I have a little Toyota Corolla at home. It's an older car, but it's a very faithful car. And um, it's kept me very well. I'm very happy with it. But let's just say, for whatever reason, God decides to bless me with a new Toyota Corolla. Amen? So he, he gives me a new car. And so I have this car here that, you know, I don't really need. So what I decide is, because Dustin is, is here, I'm gonna use him again. You sat in the wrong place. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna say, Dustin, you'd like to have a car to do ministry and stuff like that? And Dustin says, yeah. yeah, sure, of course he'd like a car. I mean, who wouldn't? So I give Dustin the car and I say, well, you know, I'm not giving you the car. I'm actually gonna loan you the car. So Dustin takes, you know, the car, but a week later, my car crashes. And so I go back to Dustin and I say, Dustin, can I have my car back? And so does Dustin get angry? Doesn't, I don't care if he gets angry or not because the car belongs to who? To me, right? So he needs to give me back my car. But let's say I give him the car and then he keeps it for five years. He keeps it for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, you know, he losses, loses everything and, and, and that car be, be, becomes his home becomes his living room, his kitchen. He, he uses it as a taxi. It's his income. It's everything. That car is everything to him. And after 10 years, I come back and I say, Dustin, give me my, my car, please. Is that okay? Can I do that? Whose car is it? Whose car does the car belong? Who does it belong to? It's mine. It's my car. So whether he keeps it for one week, whether he keeps it for 10 years, whether he keeps it for four scores or three scores and 10, that car belongs to who? To me. I have the right to take the car back when I want and how I want. And you know what? If I want to take, what's your name? If I want, Jordan? George. If I want, I can even, let's say I go back to Canada because it's 10 years. And that car is here in California. And then I ask George, I said, George, please go and get my car from Dustin. Can I do that? It's my car. I can do whatever I want. And when I started to understand this concept, it helped me to also understand, you know, in the Old Testament, how there's killings and how God sometimes would send his people. Life is not a gift. It's a loan. Life belongs to God. And therefore, God can decide to take back life whenever he wants. He can take it back when 
I can take back the car after one day. He can take back life after one day when you're born. He can take it back after 80 days. He can, in the Old Testament, we've seen how God alone could see the hearts of the people, could see the full measure of iniquities, and therefore he chose the children of Israel to be able to come and bring judgment upon other people, and he could do that. Why? Because he could see the hearts, but because life belongs to him, he can take it back he can send George to be able to take the life back. George can't decide to do that on his own, you understand? But God can do that. Why? Because life is not a gift in the way that we understand gift. Life is alone. Life belongs to God. Number two, death is not the worst thing that can happen to him. You know, many times we keep thinking that death is, is the ultimate worst thing. But the more you study God's Word, the more you understand that death or sleep, as the Word of God puts it, is not the worst thing that can happen. An army general brings his troop to fight and defend their country. But before they the, the, the engage into the warfare, this general says, man, I want you to be brave. And if you have to die for your country, I want you to die for your country. However, I want to tell you something special. I have a magic potion and this potion can bring you back to life. And you know, the way I know that this is true is that I have used it myself. I died 2,000 years ago, and, 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 and I'm still alive to prove that this thing works. Many of you will never see the end of the war between my army and Satan's army. But at the end of the war, when the doctors will come with the potion, all will be resurrected. So don't desert don't flee, don't run away. If you leave to join the enemy, there's nothing I can do for you. So I have a question for you tonight. What is worse, to die or to flee? What is worse, to die or to flee? To flee. Because if you die, he can resurrect you. There's no issue there. Whether you live or die, as long as you stay on Christ's side, there's life. Then the worst thing that can happen to you is if you leave Christ's side, then there's nothing that he can do for you, right? John eleven twenty five 25 says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. We are in a war. We didn't choose to be in this war. Just like thousands of people didn't, are not choosing to be in wars around the world, thousands didn't choose to be in World War II, but it happened. And in every war, there are casualties. There are victims. Some people die. Many get injured physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. But God has made a provision. God has made a provision. So don't flee. You know, one thing that really saddens my heart, really makes me frustrated, is when sometimes I'll go to funerals, and uh, especially somebody that died what we would call an untimely death. And let's just say it's a father and there's a son and I've seen this happen many times where where the one person dies fully trusting in God and then the other person that's still alive is so upset at God and hardens heart against God why did you let my dad die and so I'm thinking I understand that there's different stage to grieving I understand also that there's there's so you do go through certain things but if it's been five years, if it's been, you know, whatever time. So, 
so when dad is resurrected and when dad goes to heaven, you're not on, on God's side, you're on the enemy's side. So he's sleeping in peace. You're angry at God because dad died in an accident. Dad gets resurrected and he's up in heaven. He's looking for you and he can't find you. Why? Because God couldn't bring you because you were angry at God. Because, you understand what I mean? And so we need to understand that the worst thing that can happen to us is not death. The worst thing that can happen to us is when we turn from God and start going to Satan's side. One, girl, one, one gentleman, more than one, but anyways, sometimes tell me, John, I'm not, I'm not on Satan's side. It's just I haven't gotten to the point where I can fully surrender to God. Is there a little problem with that? Because if you don't fully surrender to Christ, what's your other option? Yeah, there's no other option. The other option is on Satan's side. Point number three, the almighty power of God has limits. The almighty power of God has limits. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have what? So here we see the word love, and we see the word whosoever. These two words tell me that love is not love without choice to love or not to love. God created us with the freedom to choose, which in turn allows us to love or not to love. But let's say I have a problem with, who would I have a problem with? Dustin, right? <laughs> so I have a problem with Dustin, you know? And, and, and let's say I'm a very, very bad Christian. And so my temper flares up so big that I now go to be able to punch Justin, Dustin, yeah. yeah, there you go, Dustin, right? But every time I try to punch him, his guardian angel just stops the punch. And I tries another, and the guardian angel stops the punch. And I said, okay, that's fine. So I go out to the, to the not my car, but another car he has, and I decide I'm going to slash his tires. And every time I try to slash the tires, the knife breaks. And I take another knife, and the, and, and the angel makes the knife break again. And then I'm upset. So I drive to his house, and I try to take a stone and to throw it through the window. But every time I throw it at the window, the angel makes the window like rubber. And then the, ball, the, 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 the stone bounces back. So every time I try to be able to hurt him, I can't. Question, am I really free? Am I really free? Freedom, God made us free human beings. You can't have love unless you have freedom. If you force someone to love, that's not love. But freedom is not just the ability to not love in our mind, but freedom is also the ability to experience the result or the consequence of my thoughts. Are you with me? So if every time I want to do evil and God blocks me, the only time God allows me to have actions is when I do right. But when I do evil, God blocks all the evil actions. Am I, am I really free? Am I really free? I'm not. But you know, the interesting thing is, because God has to allow not just the ability to, do e to think evil, but to do evil, that means people get hurt. That means people get hurt. And that's just part of where sometimes God has limits. The almighty power of God has limits. 
So some of you would tell me, well, you know what? Why doesn't just God um, help good people and not the bad people? But my question to you is, who determines who is the good people? I mean, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us do wickedness. So how much good do you have to do so that God can be able to help you and not help that person? How much bad, how much, who determines? All of us have sinned. All of us are sinners. You know, David struggled with that. In Psalm 73, he was perplexed and uh, he couldn't get a grasp on it. He couldn't understand why is it that the wicked prosper? Why is it that there's no control? Why is it that, you know, it seems that you do righteous and you just seem to fail and those that are wicked just seem to prosper? In Psalm 73, verse 12, the Bible says, Psalm 73, verse 12, Verily, David is speaking, um, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. You know, David was perplexed. He was even stressed because he saw that not only the wicked could think wickedly, but the wicked were free to be able to do wickedly. And that meant that people were oppressed. That meant that people were killed. That meant that people were abused. And he's saying, why is it there's no control? Well, there's payday someday until he saw the end of the wicked. Judgment is now going on in heaven. We need to be patient. Vengeance belongs to God. Point number four, we are all bad people. We are all bad people. Amen? I got one amen. None of us are good. None of us are good. If there's any goodness in us, it comes from who? From God. From God. In Luke 18, 19, it says, No one is good but one, and that is who? God. Romans 3.23 tells us, since we all have sinned and all deserve death. That's why Matthew 1.21 says that Jesus shall save us from our sins. So if, if the, the way that God can save us from eternal death, the wages of sin is death, is not by some magical click of a finger, is by saving us from our sins and therefore he can give us eternal life. But one thing I've come to realize is that anything that is above death is a bonus. Are you with me? So if I am bad, if I am naturally wicked, even sometimes the good that I do is by a selfish motive, what happens then is that the wages of sin, which is sin, is death. So anything that is above death is a blessing. So even sometimes, you know, my, <laughs> my wife... The, the other day had to go and do some some uh, dental work and you know I've never realized how expensive dental work is and um, you know she had to do some implants it was so expensive we had to fly her back she's from Romania so she had to go to Romania to do it we could you know she couldn't we couldn't afford um, and you know sometimes there was pain and this and that but I say, you know, praise God you have teeth that you can have pain. Are you with me? Praise God that you have a job where you can get annoyed. 
there are people that don't have jobs, right? So anything that we experience beyond death or above death is a blessing. We need to be able to see that it's a bonus because we should all be six feet under, right? So why do bad things happen to good people is not a good question. It's like if I ask somebody that is married, you've probably heard this, did you finally stop beating your wife? I want you to answer this question, yes or no. Did you finally stop beating your wife? Yes or no? So if the guy tells me yes, what? It's, it means that he used to beat her, right? And the guy tells me no, he sa- that means he's still what? Beating her, right? So there are questions that are not good questions. Why do bad things happen to good people is actually not a good question. The real question is, why do good things happen to bad people like us? Why is God so merciful to us after all that we have done against Him? That is the real question. I am not worthy of His love, and yet He showers His blessings continually upon me. You know, when Peter was getting ready to die, as tradition tells us, that um, you know he was beaten, he was forsaken, he was, <laughs> he was, he was going to be crucified. And he's thinking, no, I can't be crucified like Jesus. You, you need to turn me upside down. I can't do this thing. You know, it's amazing how, how Peter had caught this concept by the power of the Holy Spirit that anything above death is a blessing, is a blessing. Point number five, suffering is not always a bad thing. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James chapter 1, verse 2, we are told, um, James, James chapter 1, sometimes we think that we should never have to suffer, that any suffering that God's people go through is, 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 is not good, that God wants my happiness, God wants my enjo- me to enjoy life, uh, God doesn't want me to suffer, but that's not true. Um, it is true that God is in pain when we are in pain, but it is not true that God doesn't want us to suffer. Um, he doesn't want us to suffer, yes, <laughs> but he allows it for a reason, right? James 1, 2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patient. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so we see that suffering brings forth patience and perfection in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 12, 5 to 8 and 10 to 11, it talks about God chastening us as a father chastens or disciplines his children. Sometimes suffering is also because he loves us and is to produce a change in us. You know, um, sometimes when my kids cut themselves, you know, they run into the house for whatever, whatever they did. And so we have to put alcohol. And, you know, especially when the children were small, um, you know, they're crying their eyes out. And you know, you, you know little children, it's like the, the tears are like coming out. They're like so much tears. I don't know how they produce this. So they're crying. And then you put this thing on them and they look at you like, what are you doing? You know, I've just hurt myself and I'm crying like crazy. And now you're adding to my pain. It doesn't make sense, right? So a child doesn't understand why you're putting this alcohol on him, right? Or her. But 
you understand that you would rather have a child experience intense pain for a short time and save the leg from infection and if you know if infection moves in it can even take their life God would rather have us experience pain now if it can make the difference in spending eternity in heaven I want you to visualize this life as a line if you visualize visualize your life whatever size line you want if you say well my from this wall to that wall but I want you to compare this line your life and the pain that you go through with eternity eternity imagine as a line that keeps going and going and going and going and so what happens is as you move back this big line that you have produced for all your pain and suffering starts becoming smaller and smaller and smaller as you start comparing with the big line of eternity and it gets to the point that it becomes a dot and eventually it becomes you can't see it anymore right so as we go through pain let's look at the great controversy yeah we may experience pain maybe for a few months sometimes for a few years but let us keep in check the concept in mind the concept of eternity the pain that we go through one day we will see it will be worth it all and the last point is that life on this earth is not meant to be fair Life on this earth is not meant to be fair. God never promised that life down here would be fair, but he did promise that one day he would settle the accounts. Revelation 14, 7 says, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Romans 8, 28 says, All things work together for good to those who love the Lord. We are never told when these things work out for good. Sometimes it works out for good here. Sometimes we have to wait for heaven to understand how things will all work out for good. But all things do work out for good. Life is not fair down here accounts will be settled up there Isaiah 41 10 does tell us fear not for I am with you be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you yes I will help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand God says it may seem that I am silent when you're going through pain and when you're going through suffering whatever you have gone through or are going through but I want to let you know that I am here I will give you strength. I will cry with you. I will suffer with you. I will sustain you. Just don't give up. Persevere. Because he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. There was one of our literature evangelists that was knocking on doors. And uh, he met a lady. And, you know, I've had different experiences where you just don't know what to say. And he had shared with her some books about health, and she seemed to be okay with that. But when he pulled out a book about God, it seems like all the demons took care of, control of this woman. And she just started nailing him, saying, God, God, I can't, God, beep, 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 beep. Started swearing, says, I, you know, if God is good, and if God is a God of love, and, and why do you allow me to, to be molested as a child, and why did child services take my kids, and why this, and why that, and why this, and why that? And she went on for forever, it seemed like. And you have this, this young man just, just spit and all going to his face, doesn't know what to say. But we have a God that says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of me. And so he prays to God and says, Lord, what do I tell this woman? And after two, three minutes, when she finally 
stops to take a breath, he jumps in. He says, Matt, look, I don't know why these things happen. I don't know why you were abused as a child. I don't understand why your kids were taken. There's many things I don't understand. But I do know this. And he came from the U.S. He says, God sent me from the U.S. here to tell you that he loves you. He cares for you. And he just wants you to come home to him. And you know, it was like a shock to this lady. I don't know if anybody ever told her that somebody really cared, somebody really loved her. And she just started crying, crying, crying like a baby. She, she, and, he, and she fell in his arms and um, just weeping. And you know, it's amazing how this woman was able to start Bible studies, you know, was able to learn how to accept Christ in her life and experience that healing. Does it mean that now she understands why all these things happen? No, I mean, there's some things that we will never understand till we get to heaven. But I'm telling you, God has revealed enough to us that when we go through trials, when we go through different pains, He has revealed enough to us that we can put our trust in Him. So you want a new identity? You can only have it in Christ. But some of us may say, I can't trust God. Look, all these things happen and I don't understand. We went through certain points from the Bible to help us to understand that we can trust God. We can surrender our lives to Him. Yes, there will always be room for doubt, but whatever God has given us, it's enough that we can put our trust and start experiencing that healing, that security, and that new identity in Him. My prayer is that as you go through different pain and suffering in your life, or maybe as you encounter individuals within the sphere of your influence, that you may help point their, their eyes to Jesus Christ and experience true healing in Him. Let's pray. Loving, kind Father, we pray that you may help us to surrender everything to you unconditionally. Some of us, even in this room, have held back. We've held back for different reasons, but maybe some have held back because they can't seem to fully trust you. Yeah, we can pray to you and you come through in certain ways, but, but that trust that leads us to surrender unconditionally that you can do with us whatever you want. But we plead that you don't take your presence from us. That kind of surrender. Some of us have not gotten to that point because we're afraid of what you're going to do with us, where you're going to send us, where you're going to ask for us. And we look at the past and, and, and maybe when... We didn't see you come through the way we thought you should have. But Father, I pray that as we behold your love, your goodness, your mercy, even this weekend, as these misconceptions of your identity are, are swept away, oh Father, fill us with your spirit and lead us to the point where we can fall completely on the rock and be broken. That there may be a new start a new life to us, a new experience. 
we can finally find that security, that worth, that purpose in you. This is my desire, not only for people here, but even the people that you may bring within the sphere of our influence that we can encourage and share with. I pray this in the name of Jesus. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.